Today's reading is from John chapter 13, verse 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God. Well, it's a privilege to uh, address you, and I am uh, really sorry that things did not uh, work out. I think Rhode Island for was... Uh, was doing well, and then we got back on New York's naughty list because uh, I think 140 Providence College kids broke out with COVID. So uh, all of a sudden, the restrictions are back in. So, uh, but it is a privilege to address you. I've had a I've had a good time uh, both yesterday uh, and this morning. And uh, hopefully, if you weren't able to uh, attend those, you'll be able to get the slides. And, and listen to it, uh, listen to the recording. Um, but this, this morning, as uh, we, we think about God's word, I wanted to remind you perhaps of a scene that you saw four years ago uh, during the 2016 Olympics. And it resulted in a, a medal that was given out that is even more rare than the gold, uh, silver, or bronze. And that's the, the uh, Corbiton or Conbiton medal that's been awarded only 17 times in Olympic history. And on August 20th, 2016, it was awarded to two more Olympians. One of them, Nikki Hamblin, fell in a long distance. Do you I don't know if you remember this. And then, uh, and then uh, Abby uh, D'Agostino stopped, an American, and stopped and helped her up. And they finished together. And Hamblin later said about uh, D'Agostino, that girl has the Olympic spirit right there. I've never met her before, and she is such an amazing woman. Well, what was not reported about D'Agostino is she's from New England. She's from nearby Massachusetts, and it was actually uh, goes to the church with my daughter. She's a very strong Christian. So, so what uh, the world at that point, or what Hamblin in her thankfulness was uh, attributing to the Olympic spirit was actually the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that, uh, talking about him this morning. Her actions uh, displayed love to a watching world. And so um, in John 13, which we just read, we see some instructions on love that Jesus has for his disciples. And the context of that, of that um, passage is the final night of Jesus' earthly life. So he's gathered his disciples in the upper room. Judas now has left the room to betray Jesus. And then Jesus feels free to address the true disciples. And, and what does he say? We saw that he says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And then he also says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And we're going to be, we're going to be talking uh, about those ideas this morning straight, straight from the scripture. And so if you're, you're a note taker, you like to take notes, uh, my main point is this, that the people of Christ 
display the glory of Christ through their love for the disciples of Christ. The people of Christ display the glory of Christ through their love for the disciples of Christ. And we'll be looking at that really in, in three different points. Um, so let's start in looking with the first point, which is this, is that the triune God is glorified in the cross. That's what basically in verse 31, uh, the events of the betrayal now had been kicked off. You see that in verse 31, when he, who Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Let me just, let me just unpack that a little bit. You know, I think we use the word, especially uh, as Christians, we use the word glory a lot. Glorify yourself. I will glory in my Redeemer. Uh, all those different, we, we use that word a lot, but what, is it, what, what does that word actually mean? Well, it's used in different ways. So the, the word glory can be used of the inherent weight and worth and splendor of something. So something has glory. God has glory in himself. Glory also, the word glory can be used when that greatness comes out of that, of that person. And also, we use the word glory when we express that greatness. And we use this, we, we don't even have to use religious terms. We use this, for example, in, on the sports level or on the, on the uh, perhaps you're a musician and you're into music or, or whatever you are, whatever you see and you, you praise, we use that, we use that, uh, we can use those phrases. So for example, a great athlete has glory in and of himself. He, he is just, he is, he is a super quarterback. He is a, a super wide receiver. He is a, a super hockey player. There's that glory within him. And yet, we also go to events or go to concerts to see that greatness displayed. And so glory can be displayed. And then what do we, what do, we do when we have viewed something like that? We, we want to talk about it. We, we glorify, we praise, we study the, the, uh, the um, uh, statistics of the athletes. And, and we talk about, man, wasn't that a great concert or a great, or a great game? And so, so that word glory can be used all different ways. And though the scripture says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God, it, it also, when we come to this event, scripture says that, that actually the, the best way to understand the glory of God is seen in the betrayal, the crucifixion, and ultimately the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, that that is going to glorify God. That is going to display, Jesus is saying, this is going to display God, the Father, God and the Father to the world. And that God is going to glorify Christ. God is going to place his praise on Christ by raising him up and enthroning him in heaven. So what Jesus is doing is, is trying to encourage the, the disciples who are about to have their whole worldview shaken up. This, this person that they've followed for three years and they thought that, that, that he was the Messiah and he was going to bring in the physical kingdom. And they're about to see him the next day be crucified. 
and, and, God, and, and Jesus is saying, in the shame of the cross, you are going to see God's glory. Now, why is that? Why is that? Because in the cross, we see the justice of God and the love of God meet together. We see the holiness and the love of God come together. God, who is completely just and he can't let sin go, unpunished, finally punishes sin. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to gaze long and hard at the glories of the cross, the glories of the resurrection, the glories of the ascension. There was a song, um, you may or may not be familiar with it, by Sovereign Grace. Lord, take me deeper into the glories of the cross. So we, we, as, we as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, we never move beyond the cross. We never move beyond the resurrection. It's the, the central date and event in history where we see the love of God and the justice of God, the holiness of God meet together. Jerry Bridges said it this way, if you want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for sins. Other, others have said, by permitting evil, mysterious as it seems, God's works of grace, mercy, and wisdom in saving sinners, without the fall, we would have known nothing of the cross and the gospel. So what Jesus is saying is that these horrible events that are going to shake the worldview actually display the love, the justice of God. And if you're listening and you're not a follower of Christ, um, obviously I'm a guest speaker, and, but I know the church, I know it's a ch good church and is glad to ha have you here. And you need to understand that that crucifixion and the resurrection is the central event of history. And you don't understand God until you understand how these events show off his great holiness, his great justice, his great wrath, and his great love, that he in fact, has taken the place of you and me on the cross for our sins and offers eternal life for us. But if you're, if you're looking at that passage, what's interesting is that Jesus, it seems, if you're just, if you think about it, if you were there, it seems like he abruptly shifts gears. Because, but he's, he's, been, he's talking about how the cross is going to glorify the triune God. And all of a sudden, he talks to his disciples and, and what they should do while he is gone. And, th and that really brings us um, to the second point here, that the triune God is glorified. The first point being the triune God is glorified in the glory of the cross, the glory of the resurrection, the ascension. But... The second point here is that the triune God is actually glorified, displayed by the love of the disciples for one another. So what's, what's the, the cross and the resurrection? That's going to create a new, a, a new people, a new tribe, people who follow and love Jesus Christ. And then you can see that in verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, Jesus gives us a command. And what is that? It's to love one another. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. 
just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. How? If you have all the apologetics answers from Saturday seminar, no. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's really, it's so simple, and yet it's so hard to put into practice. In, in 22 times in the New Testament, the command to love one another is repeated over and over again, love one another. And, and I'd argue that the other one another's, such as encourage one another, live at peace with one another, greet one another, and there's, there's others as well, that all those other one another's are really facets of the diamond, love one another. The preeminent one another is that we're to love one another. 1 John 4, 11 and 12 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love, if we're loving one another, that love that comes from God is shown forth to the world. In fact, in, uh, earlier in 1 John, John says that loving the brothers is actually a mark of salvation. 1 John 3, 14, we know we pass from life to death. How? Because we said a prayer once? No. We know we pass from death to life because we love the brothers. The way we know that God has given us his heart, that he's poured his love into our heart, is that we love one another. There's a tradition, a church tradition that says when, when the apostle John was an old man in Ephesus that he had to be carried into the church in, in the arms of his disciples. And, and at, this, at these meetings, he was accustomed to saying no more than little children love one another. Little children love one another. And at the time, uh, again, the, the story goes that the disciples wearied of always hearing the same words, asked, Master, why, are you, why do you always say this? And his reply was, it is the Lord's command and this, if this alone be done, it is enough. See, the reason, the reason loving one another is so important, it has to do with the nature of sin. And Augustine and Luther had this understanding of sin, which I think is really helpful in our modern world. And it, it's breaking God's commandments, and that, that we know, but, but understanding this, that sin causes me to curl in on myself. So I have, a, I have a friend who is a special disease and it causes her bones to, or, or her joints to, to curl in on herself. And that's, uh, that's part of this debilitating disease. Well, all of us are born this way. We are, we are self-oriented. The, the commandments Jesus said are to love God and to love others. And what's the opposite of that is to curling in and to loving my, to loving myself. So Jesus says the, the mark, the, the command for us as a church is to love one another. Let me just ask you this. One of the things that if you're looking at that, that may stand out is, is he says that's a new commandment. But actually in the Old Testament, we see that uh, the commandment that you'll, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what, what is new about this commandment? And I, this, these are just three things. We're still kind of in the, 
in the outline, we're still in the second point. But I, I want to suggest three things that challenge us as Christians. One is there's a new standard. How are we to love one another as I have loved you? How has Jesus loved you? The more I understand my sin and you understand your sin, the more you will realize how much Jesus has loved you. He who has been forgiven much loves much. That's our standard. And so we, Christ's love within us is to, it gives us a new standard, a sacrificial love, a crucifying love, humbling love, washing feet. So it's a new commandment because of the standard. But it's also new, it's also new because it's a new priority. So when Jesus says, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself, well, then we can ask, who is my neighbor? There's 7.4 billion people in the world. And Jesus puts a priority here. He says, disciples are to love disciples. And Galatians 6.10 spells that out a little bit, where he says, uh, where Paul writes, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially the household of believers. So love, love can manage multiple priorities. So they, Paul's saying that in Galatians 6. Let's do the good to everyone, especially the household of believers. So Jesus gives us a new priority there, a new standard, a new priority. And he also gives us a new result. All men will know you're my disciples. Francis Schaeffer said it this way, we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives us is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. And I said that yesterday, that most, most of the objections to the Christian faith are moral, not mental. There are plenty of mental answers, but it's the moral resistance to Jesus. And love of the disciples for one another does an end, round, a, 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 a end run around walls that people have. In fact, Jim Peterson in his book, Living Proof, tells the story of ministering to an intellectual over and over and over again as a, in a university. And finally, finally, um, he came to faith. And so, and so Jim was asking, what, what caused you to come to faith? What, what, was, what was the argument that finally put you over? And he said, none of that. He said, it was the night you had me over, me and my uh, girlfriend over for dinner. And I looked and I, and I saw your family. And I said to myself, when am I going to have a family like that? And I realized the answer was never. It was, it was the love of Jim Peterson's family that drew, put a, did an end, run, end round on all the intellectual objections. Supernatural love, Christ in me, gives us a new standard and a new priority and a new result. Tertullian, who was uh, an early church father, reported that the Romans would exclaim, see how they love one another. So what are some applications? And I... Their number. First, if you're not a Christian, I know you're welcome at this church, and um, and we're glad you're here. And we want it to be a place that you meet God, but only in a healthy church will you find supernatural love for God and love for people not like you. And that one of the things that makes a church healthy is there's supernatural glue, supernatural loving, different types of people. And as you repent of your sins and trust Christ, 
he can give you that supernatural love as well. Those of you of us who profess Christ, let me just ask this question. Who is your biggest challenge to love right now? We're going to be challenged beyond our natural ability to love until we die. We may hurt, we may uh, put up walls, but when we do, we can't love others. Who, who is God asking you to move towards, to fill with the love of Christ for people who are not like you? Who, who is your biggest challenge to love right now? And then a third application which really comes out of Philippians 1. Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And so you can, I think that's a prayer, a good prayer to pray, that, that my love would grow, my love would increase, and it would grow in wisdom. So to ask, how, in, in this situation, how do I show love? So to, sometimes love is correction. We, we, we see this in Revelation 3.19. Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So I'm not, by, by talking about love here, I'm not talking all this goosh, you know, uh, squishy, uh, just uh, niceness. Sometimes love has backbone. And so Philippians 1, Paul prays, as he's saying, I'm praying for the Philippians, and this is a good prayer for us. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you'd be more of a loving person in 2000. 21 than you were in 2019 and that it, it would it, it would grow in knowledge and depth of insight and you'd be more discerning as to how best to love so god is jesus in this passage tells us that the invisible god is displayed is glorified in the cross the resurrection and the invisible God is displayed through his followers loving one another. You know, the world can do a much better rock concert than Christians can do, but they can't do better love. And so we need to remember that we are called to love one another. Now, what I'd, what I'd like to do, if you'll if you'll allow me, is transition and, and apply that last part to one even smaller subset. And, that, and say it this way, which is the third point here, is that the triune God is glorified in your loving family or in loving your family. Now, let me just say a, a sidebar here to singles, whether you're uh, young and single or older. There, there, there are two applications as, as we talk about the rest of this. Many of you have roommates now, and it's, it's true for those who are living in close proximity to each other. And God may call some of you to have families in the future. And living the gospel in your home is actually a beautiful but difficult calling. You say, why, why is that? Well, at least, I don't know about your family, but, but it, it's... it's I, nowhere else do I let my guard down when I'm tired, when I'm irritated, and vice versa. It's, it's home that we're the closest, or, or roommates if you're, if you're single. The bio, what, if you look at the, at the scriptures, the biological family was meant to be fa a foundational for God's plan in the world. And, and you know, of course, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were the king and queen of our race. They were their great, 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 grandparents. They're, they're the first family. 
But what you see in that interaction is the passivity of Adam and sin and Eve led to rebellion. And as a result, as a result, uh, sin affects every relationship. So as, as families are created, sin is in the mix. And so congratulations. Is it Brian getting married on, on Saturday? But I hate to tell you, man, but what's a family? It's one sinner marrying another sinner. <laughs> Congratulate, right? Can you see why, why I should never write my own uh, uh, card line, the theologically correct card line? But what is family? One sinner marries another sinner and, and together produces other little sinners. Incredibly cute sinners, but still sinners nonetheless. That explains why, if you, you may have grown up in a family that's deeply affected by sin, and there can be, there can be deep uh, wounds and deep scars, perhaps there are secrets that you've never told anyone. Um, but I want to I declare and promise you that God's ability to heal and restore is infinitely greater than our ability or our parents' ability to tear down or destroy. And so God, God can restore those wounds by the grace, by the grace of God. But having said that, I want us to think about this verse, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another, that encourages not only a church to be intentional and thoughtful, intentional about church life, and especially as we navigate this, this COVID time, uh, and that, that may be one application to discuss among yourselves is how do we love one another uh, in this time? When is it appropriate to take risks? When is it, is it, is it, uh, you know, is it, is it, is it true concern? And I'm not, I don't know the answer. I'm just asking the question. Is it true concern or is it, I've gotten into some really good patterns or really bad patterns in my life and I need to oppose that by loving others. Jonathan Edwards said this in his uh, farewell sermon. He said, we have great many disputes about how church ought to be regulated. Um, and indeed, the subject of these disputes was of great importance. But the due regulation of your families is no less, and in some respects of greater importance. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. So just this idea, and again, I, I illustrated it with Jim Peterson's story, is that loving uh, individuals and then a loving community displays the glory of God. So let me just give some applications perhaps here for us as families, uh, for, for you as a family. Number one, we want to we remember that from God's perspective, family is not ultimate, Jesus is. Family's not ultimate, Jesus is, the kingdom is. We're surrounded by a culture that worships and idolizes the family. Um, but it's, it's an our family's an important priority, but an ex not an exclusive one. In fact, in, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so our family is is important. And so as we, as we figure out, it's not an exclusive priority. So we start with my own walk with Lord, and then my spouse, and then my children, and then the church family, and then the world. All those are priorities. Remember, 
as a new dad, I was struggling with priorities. And, and my, uh, one of my mentors said to me, as I was struggling with new priorities, he says, I want my children to know that I live for something greater than them. And that, and that was a goal for me. I want my children to know that I live for Jesus Christ. I've said it this way, I will die for you, but I will not live for you. So I'd give my life for you, but I'm going to I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And then just as an encouragement, as we walk day after day through the difficult times to realize that actually our homes, and I know homes are messy. I know that my home was messy. Thankfully, I think Sarah chose uh, the, the picture perfect picture of my family. If you were in the seminar, there was one immediately following that was a little more realistic. So uh, our, our family was not perfect. It was messy. And, but, but also this idea of where am I, what am I, what am I doing? What's my purpose? And in that moment, in that mess, what we're doing is, is creating a little community that shows off the glory of God or glory of Christ. And if you're single, God, God has given you that same call as well, because like Jesus and Paul, you're saying, I'm living for a different place. So I'm going through the struggles of loneliness, but I'm, I am living for a different place. And that glorifies God as well. But if, for a family, we can display the Trinity. Uh, Tim Keller has said it this way, is that the world was created by a God who's not only an individual, nor is it the emanation of an impersonal force. We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who've loved each other for all eternity. So you were made for mutually self-giving, others-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. And you can apply that not only to uh, the family, but the church. A triune God creates a church, a triune God creates a family, and in that diversity and in that uh, uh, sub willing sub submission, joy, all that shows off the world in a language they don't even understand about the glory, about the glory of God. Let me just give you one final application, and then, uh, and then we'll close our time together. Once we understand that our families are not just about, just centered on ourselves, but we want, to, we want to display God, we also want to parent with eternity in mind. And we talked about that in the seminar yesterday, that God has not just given you souls. And, and thank, thank you for those who um, minister in the children's ministries. These, these, little, these little guys running around, uh, these little kids running around the church, they're not just babies, they're not just toddlers, they're not just six-year-olds. These are eternal souls who will live forever, and you get a chance to influence them. And that's a huge, huge privilege. And they, they, they will look back and remember the adults that interact with them, whether they're, whether they're parents or the others in the church as well. Um, and so be sure and look at them they, in 20 years, I can tell you, time flies really fast. So in, in, in 15 years, that six-year-old is going to be 21. And so you have a chance to build into this eternal soul. And that's why, uh, that's why if you're uh, stuck at home, you're stuck in the middle of diapers right now, and you're just like, man, this, this, <laughs> this is hard. It is. 
but the vision makes all the difference. There's a story, an illustration of three men who were stone cutters. And uh, as a man walked by, he asked them, what do you do? What are you doing? And one said, he's cutting, I said, I'm just cutting some stone. And the other said, he said, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm making a living. And with the third man, he, he said, what are you doing? All three men doing the same work. He said, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Same work, the vision made all the difference. And so as you're going through uh, these um, struggles or as you're going through the hard work and it is down and dirty, then you want to uh, keep the vision, is my, vision in mind. J.C. Sproul said it this way, precious no doubt are these little ones in your eyes, but if you love them, think often of their souls. In every step you take, in every plan, scheme and arrangement that concerns them, do not leave out the mighty question, how will this affect their souls? So that's why, that's why the hardest place to live out the gospel is in, is in my home, is in close relationships, uh, whether it's elder teams or uh, roommates or in the homes. And if I will receive those, those actions as an opportunity, not only uh, for my happiness, but also for my holiness, that, that God's grace to you is that he gives you struggles in your family, with your roommates perhaps, and he's using those to, to train your heart. So a very famous scene, I'm sure you, you know the, the original Karate Kid, where Daniel asked Mr. Miyagi to train him in um, karate, very, very uh, uh, iconic scene. And Miyagi assigns Daniel mundane work, like waxing the antique cars or painting his fence or sanding his floor. All the time in that mundane work, he's training him for greatness. And, and in a similar way, through the, through the mundane work that God assigns to us, he's actually training our uh, training our character for holiness. Martin Luther said it this way, marriage is a better school for the character than any monastery, for it's there that your corners are rubbed off. Well, Jesus, Jesus showed us great love in the cross. He says, you want to you you know how the triune God is glorified, is displayed? Look at the cross. Look at that great love displayed in the cross and the, and the power of the resurrection and seated in the heavens and, and the, the coming of the Spirit. That's one way we can see the invisible God today. The other is through the supernatural love of unlike people who work through their conflicts, who, who love, the other, uh, love the others with love. And the church what Jesus had in mind when he, when he said in John uh, 13 at that point, but the little church as well, the family as well. We are, we're not in our micro choices and that in those daily grinds, God is actually training us in holiness to show off his glory to a watching world. Can I just pray for us that God would, would uh, use that uh, in your life in your uh, church and your family and perhaps with someone who's especially difficult to love that that you might show them the supernatural love of Christ. Let me pray and then uh, and then we'll transfer this back over.
Father, thank you for your great love to us in Christ. Christ. And we pray that as we apply this message, whether to the home or to someone that's difficult to love, Lord, that your spirit might work through us. Would you, would you remind us anew of the great love of, you showed us in the cross, the resurrection, and would you help us love, perhaps even love our enemies, love our brothers, and love our, our family, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.